We have highways in Chicago, but they all have one thing in common, and that's that they require tolls to go on them. And so back in the day, you used to have to carry change with you all the time. I remember my dad carried little bags of exact change for when he went to work, and I didn't hear the word freeway until I was in middle school, and I came across Tom Petty's song, Free Fallen. Maybe you know it. There's a freeway running in the yard, and I'm a bad boy. Cause I don't even miss her. I'm a bad boy for breaking her heart. And I'll stop right there for your sake. But I remember saying, hey dad, what's a freeway? And uh, he explained that it's the same thing that we call an expressway. It apparently means the same thing. It's a highway that does not require any cost to travel. It's a road with a controlled access. And for me, when I think about the freeway, I think about a road that you can kick back and you can drive at a high rate of speed Not that I would do that, but I've heard people do that. I think of a road with endless possibilities. I think of freedom. When I lived in Florida, we would have to fly back to Chicago. I would myself uh, because we owned a house there. And so there was a shuttle flight I would always take, and it would land in Fort Lauderdale right around 10 o'clock. So around 11 o'clock at night, I would be on I-95, and there was really nobody else out there. And The nice Florida nights, the windows down, the music just cranked, and not a care in the world. There there was a real freedom in that. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. See, because there's something freeing about hitting the open road, turning up your favorite song, and singing along with really no regards to how it might sound. There's something freeing maybe when you're on your way on a trip, on a vacation, and you hit the highway, and you think, There's going to be an adventure ahead, a lot of unknowns. And I think there's something freeing in that because often in this world, you and I are held captive by responsibilities and expectations. We have to get up for work or for school or if you have small children, you have to get up whenever they decide you're going to get up. Right, moms? Give me an amen, moms. Yeah, exactly. We have to do the laundry, wash the dishes, gas up the car, mow the lawn, pay the bills, buy the groceries, Unclog the drain, especially if you have girls. Uh, Come on, dads, if you have girls, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Change the oil, clean your room, walk the dog, do your schoolwork, finish the reports, and more. Other times, people just expect you to show up on time, to be engaged, to return that text or email, go to that party, to do whatever people expect. We live in a world filled with responsibilities and expectations, and they can often overwhelm us and hold us captive. And so let's get to the point. We're going to start by saying it in a sentence. And what is it? It is what we're going to talk about. And this is the sentence we will say it in. Jesus Christ has died on the cross in your place so you can find freedom in a captive world. I'm going to say that again. Jesus Christ has died on the cross in your place so you can find freedom in a captive world. Shayla's already prayed for us, so we will dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul... He was a devoted follower of Jesus. He wrote a letter to the church at a place called Corinth. Corinth is in Greece, and it was a very important city in the Roman Empire. It was known for its commerce, for its culture, and unfortunately for its corruption. Paul had previously been to this church in Corinth, and sometime after he left, the church wrote him a letter asking questions about doctrine and about practice. And so 1 Corinthians is Paul's response to their letter. And he answers their questions, but he also rebukes them for some sins because as a church, they were really struggling with the temptations of the world and what it meant to be different now that they followed Jesus. 
And so in chapter 9, Paul starts talking about how he worked with his own hands, but he took no support from the church. He willingly laid aside many privileges, even the privilege of marriage. Because marriage is a privilege, right? Oh, guys, come on. I can't set you up any better for that. Dude, seriously, I'm going to try that one more time. Because marriage is a privilege, right? Amen. Amen. Well done. A little late, but still. Paul could have claimed the privilege of financial support from the church, but he chose not to. Paul was their pastor, but he was saying, I don't want any money. Don't pay me for this. Please don't get any ideas on that. (laughs) Paul had rights, but he laid them aside. And verse 12 says, speaking of the right of being paid by the church, he said, we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Because Paul lived in a day with a lot of skepticism to this new faith, and he did not want anyone to think he was preaching for money. And so let's look at the text. We're going to start in verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Well, just this that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. So Paul looked at his responsibility to preach the good news of Jesus as a privilege and not a burden. The fact that he could preach this message, that was its own reward to him. And he wanted people to know, hey, the gospel is free and I don't want you to tie any payment or any external reward to it. He continues in verse 19. He says, though I'm free and I belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one having the law, though I am free from God's law. But I, you know, some of you are sitting there going, I think you just said the word law 42 times in that sentence. And so let me just kind of pause. It's actually nine, just so you know. But, um, but let me explain this. What he's saying is there are some people who were still putting themselves under the Jewish law even though they didn't have to. And he says to them, I just went ahead and put myself under the law even though I'm free. I decided to do that so that I could win them. And for those that were free and and embracing that freedom, well, that's how I lived. Because the bottom line is I just want to win people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 22, he says, To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means... I might save some. Man, you want to underline that. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And he says, I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. You see, Paul didn't take advantage of any benefits he could have enjoyed because he just wanted people to know the gospel, the good news about Jesus is free. He wanted people to know he was working on his own and he wanted to win as many people as possible. He is doing whatever's necessary to help people see the life-altering message of Jesus Christ. Let me call time out here, and let me answer the question, so what? What does this have to do with me? Well, let's go back to where we started. Jesus Christ has died on the cross in your place so you can find freedom in a captive world. And you see, that's what's happening here. 
Paul has found freedom, and in that freedom, he's making it his mission to do whatever he can so as many people as possible know they can be set free even when they don't, they don't even realize they need to be set free. It's kind of like when you're on the freeway, full of possibilities, full of adventure, you're headed towards a destination, windows down, music pumping, just the open road, and God is inviting every person in here to experience the freedom he offers so we can live the life that we were created for. And so all that to say this, we're going to focus on just one verse from everything I just read, and that is verse 19 when he says this, I am free and I belong to no one. In the midst of everything, Paul makes this incredibly bold declaration. He says, though I'm free and belong to no one, and then he goes on to talk about what he's willing to do to help people know Jesus, he's figured something out here. He's living life on the freeway with the emphasis on the word free. And I can't read that verse and wonder, is that how I live? Do I live as though I'm free and belong to no one? And so with that, I have three ways that you and I can live life on the freeway. I need a little encouragement, so if you're ready, say go. Go. It was all right. We'll take that. All right. First one is this. Understand my freedom in Christ. All right. Hold on a second, Paul. Because when you say I am free and belong to no one, I'm not sure I can get on board with that. We've already listed the things in this world that can hold us captive, all the responsibilities and the expectations. So how in the world can you possibly say you are free and belong to no one? Because no one is that free. Years ago, I was sitting in my car outside of a store waiting on my wife, and I parked in the fire lane in front of the store because it was just going to be a quick trip. And so she comes out and gets in the car, and police car just comes right up, has the lights going, and uh, tells me, he says, I'm going to give you a ticket for illegally parking in the fire lane. I was a little frustrated. My mind is racing. Like, like I was there for five minutes, and, and does this guy not have anything better to do? And, and, I, and, I, and even saying to myself, I didn't really know, I mean, despite the, all the you know, yellow lines and big signs and so forth. But the problem here is I, I was guilty. Like, I did it. I parked in the fire lane. $125. And so um, I had a friend who was a dispatcher in the police department, and I decided to just whine to her about it a little bit. And so she's like, hey, stop by tomorrow. So I'm thinking, ooh, maybe she's going to do something about this. This would be nice. What I didn't see happening is her saying, as soon as I got there, she's like, oh, hey, come with me. And we walk in, and there's a man sitting behind a desk. And I'm like, who is this? And I look, it says, chief of police. And she's like, she's like hey, so he was parking out in front of Sam's Club, blah, blah, blah. I gave him a ticket. He looks over at me. He goes, you can't park there. And I was like, I know, sir. I'm sorry. He goes, give me the ticket. And I gave him a ticket. He goes, I'll take care of it. And I was like, all right, sometimes it pays to know people in powerful positions, right? And see, you and I are in a very similar situation. We are guilty before God because of our sin. See, God is perfect, God is holy, and in him there is no fault. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means God's standard perfection, holiness, we fall short of that. And then Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. So we all fall short, we've all sinned, and what we get for that is death. And there's nothing we can do about this on our own. We can make excuses, we can try to do better, but it won't change the indisputable fact that we are guilty. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14 tells us that in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And so the image here is that Jesus' death on the cross was a payment to God for our sin. See, Jesus didn't just come and rescue us. He paid a price so that we could be made right with God. 
He paid our penalty. Forgiveness means the wrongs that we've done will no longer be held against us. We will not stand before him and have to give account if we've grabbed a hold of what Jesus has done in our place. Think about that. Everything you've done, the things that only God knows about, because of Jesus on the cross and his blood, we are forgiven. He has rescued you and I from the darkness we were in. We had no hope, no way that we could fix our condition on our own. And he has brought us into his kingdom, a place of redemption and forgiveness. Man, tell the person next to you, say, this is good news. Boy, you guys are really kind of wake up a little bit. I know it's raining, but, but come on, let's try that again. Tell the person, say, this is good news. Thank you. Romans 6.14 says this, because it, it doesn't stop there. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. And so the penalty for our sin is taken care of. We respond to that. When, we, when God reveals that to us, we respond. We say, yes, I need that. I can't fix that on my own. And what Jesus has accomplished on the cross has taken care of that. And because of him, we have redemption. That's payment made on our behalf and the forgiveness for sin. Our sins will not be held against us. And you see, people who follow Jesus get really excited about forgiveness, but unfortunately, many don't ever move forward from there. Because it's so incredibly mind-blowing that our, that our sins can be, the, the penalty for our sins can be paid, but there's more. As if it's not enough that Jesus died on the cross, that we can be forgiven and made right with him, he promises more. One author says that if you only know the grace that redeems and not the grace that releases you to live this life, that you're like a mountain climber at base camp. Or you're like an astronaut strapped in the space shuttle but just hanging out on the launch pad. That the, the best is still ahead of you. You see, grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. His grace is poured out on the cross when Jesus stood on our pl- in our place and paid the penalty for our sins. We could never deserve these things, but God has offered them. But more unthinkable is that he doesn't stop there. So Romans 6.14 says, Because of grace, sin shall not be your master. So not only is the penalty for our sin gone, but the power of sin is gone because of what Jesus has done. And the verse continues saying, sin will not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. The law exists to point out where you're wrong. See, that, that's exactly what, how I knew I was wrong parking where I did. The law said, you cannot park here. I did it. I was guilty. God's laws show us our guilt. They reveal how, fall we far from, how far we fall from God's standard and often can make us feel like failures. And look at the Ten Commandments and put yourself up against that and say, how am I doing here? But see, we're not under law anymore. We're under grace because Jesus has died in our place and he has freed us from that burden. And maybe you say, but I still sin all the time. So I'm not really free from the power of sin. But it's likely that's the wrong perspective. The power of sin is broken in your life, but you can still choose to sin. But sin has no power over you. Did you know that as a follower of Jesus, that sin no longer has power over you? And so when sin rears its ugly head in your life, you can say, no, 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 you're not actually in charge anymore. Right? I, I am dead to that. And then this week I was talking with another youth pastor saying, what do you do when these teenagers come to you time after time and just keep saying, yeah, I did it again, I did it again, I did it again. And, and this is the answer. Help them see that they are free, that if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Remember who your master is. You are no longer a slave to sin, that you are free. Jesus has given you that freedom, and he is waiting for you to grab a hold of it. 
If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. It is done. It is finished. And nothing can change that. And so do you understand your freedom? And this is why Paul, Paul did. And this is why he could say, I am free and I belong to no one. Understand your freedom from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. Let's move on. Second thing. Surrender my own freedom. Surrender my own freedom. Now, some of you might be thinking like, LOL, are you kidding me? You literally just told me to understand my freedom, and now you're saying to surrender it? You asked me if I could say I am free and belong to no one, and now you're saying you want me to just kind of give that up? How about you start making sense, or maybe you just have a seat and let Eric come up and finish the sermon. Nice try. Well, that's a little harsh, a little hurtful, but maybe you just stay with me. See, you and I, the freedom from the penalty of sin, the freedom from the power of sin, that can't be changed. That's done. That's taken care of. But once you grab a hold of that, there's still freedom. See, you had a choice whether or not to come here this morning. Some students are sitting there going, no, I didn't. (laughs) You have a choice whether or not to be obedient when God reveals things in your life. You have a choice whether or not to serve. There's going to be people up here at the end of the service who are going to go next week to Guatemala. They had a choice whether or not to raise the money and to commit to go. You have freedom to give. You have freedom to make choices. But, but look at verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, but I have not used any of these rights. See, Paul has surrendered what's his. And then in verse 19, he says, and I have made myself a slave to everyone. And so the key word here is that is willingly. See, Paul willingly surrenders himself. He is free, and in that freedom, he's making a choice to be a slave to something greater. That's why he wrote this to the churches in Galatia, Galatians 5, verse 1. He said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Man, underline that verse, because Jesus has set us free. And we talked about how we're free from the penalty of sin, free from the power of sin. And now he wants us to live free. And he says, now that you're free, don't go find something else to be burdened to. Don't go and be captive to something else that's only going to make you a slave. You see, part of finding this freedom is a surrender to something greater. In Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the pearl of great price, a very simple passage. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had. And then he bought it. So this guy's looking for pearls. He finds one and says, I have to have that one. Here's everything I have. Take it because I want that so bad. And and that's what following Jesus is like. You say, you know what? You know what? Uh, um, I see what you're doing in my life. I recognize I need what you did on the cross. And so here, here, everything that I have, everything, I, I need you. Here, take it. Take all of me. Take my hopes, my ambitions, my plans, because your calling is higher. Your love is greater. Your future is brighter. And your plans are so far superior beyond anything I could come up with. And so here I am. It's a willing surrender. But unfortunately, what often happens is we find freedom from the penalty of sin. And maybe we grasp some of the freedom of power of sin. But then we find something else to be a slave to. And God is inviting us instead to recognize that we're not so good with control. We want to be, but he's a lot better at it. And so we surrender to him. We ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in our lives. See, part of embracing everyday life with Jesus is realizing that on our own, that we aren't all that. 
This is why we have to know John 15, 5. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We recognize that God's given us everything. And so we say, you know what? Here's everything I have. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so here's some things that we surrender our freedom for. First one is our jobs. I carry this around in my Bible. And um, it's just a, it's called the 30 second speech. It says, imagine life as a game in which you're juggling some five balls in the air. You name them work, family, health, friends, and spirit. You're keeping all of these in the air. You will soon understand that work is a rubber ball. If you drop it, it will bounce back. But the other four balls, family, health, friends, and spirit, they're made of glass. If you drop one of these, they will be irrevocably scuffed, marked, nicked, damaged, or even shattered. They will never be the same. You must understand that and strive for it. Sometimes we get so obsessed with our work and we surrender our freedom that God has given us. Sometimes it's our relationships. Sometimes there's a relationship that you really have no business being in. I would say that's probably the number one thing in 22 years of student ministry that we lose students to is that relationship. They get excited about God and then all of a sudden this relationship comes and it's like, well, they're kind of a Christian. Well, they, 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 they this, blah, 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 blah. And then their passion for God is just gone. But sometimes the relationship itself isn't bad, but it's our perspective in the relationship. We let it start dictating how we live. We start compromising little things and we're held captive by it. Maybe we don't even see it. Maybe our hobbies, hobbies are a good thing. Everybody say hobbies are a good thing. But sometimes they can consume us because we'd rather be on Pinterest or we'd rather be in the garage or, or working out or we'd rather be doing that than, than doing the things that God has called us to do. We've developed this phrase, I just need a little me time, right? And see, the thing is, I can tell you this, as we're working with students, man, we need men who are willing to step up and say, hey, I want to invest my life in younger men. I, and and, and we don't see as many of them because we, we, we need that. We need people to say, you know what? I want to find the call that God has in my life. I want to invest in that. But instead, we put ourselves under the slavery of something else. Sometimes it's our kids there's a calling on our lives of parents to raise kids in a way that honors God. But sometimes we let our kids define us, consume us. Now, I have three daughters. I know that's not always your choice. Sometimes they just consume you. But other times, it's us as parents refusing to let go. Sometimes we put so much into the lives of our kids that we don't have a connection with God, the one that we so desperately need. Sometimes we're slaves to addictions or habits, and maybe they're not even sinful. Technology, games, some kind of a secret habit that maybe isn't sinful, maybe it is. Do not be burdened again. Galatians 5.1. Sometimes we're held captive by our future. I mean, you should have plans, you should have goals, but sometimes we get so focused on the future that we forget to live in the present. We give up our freedom sometimes to please others. And then maybe you just need to memorize, I am free and belong to no one. Jesus died to set you free from having to please anyone but him. And if that's you, just write down Galatians 1.10 in your notes, Galatians 1.10, and check that out. And finally, sometimes we're held captive by our past. And this is a tough one. Because sometimes it's a result of our choices, but other times we face circumstances that we didn't cause, but we have to live in. And see, I don't have magic words to undo what happened. But I do know that what Jesus has done for you is greater than what's happened to you. Let me say that again. I do know that Jesus, what Jesus has done for you is greater 
than what has happened to you. I know he redeems. I know he heals. And I know that he has come and set to set you free. I am free and belong to no one. So don't surrender to something that only burdens you and leads you back into slavery. Let me turn your attention to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It'll come up on the screens. And it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's surrender. It's saying, you know what? I'm on the cross with him. I no longer live. It's not about me. I have given myself up. And this life that I now live, I live in the, in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, he loved me, he gave himself for me, and he invites me to give up everything for something greater than anything this world could ever offer. He forgives me, he cleans me up, he sets me free. And so I don't live anymore, but he lives in me. See, I have freedom in Christ, and so I give up my freedom. This is where I end, and he begins at the cross. When you meet Jesus at the cross, that's really the end of yourself. And you say, here I am, whatever you want, whatever you have, And now the life I live in this flesh, I live by faith in him. And you see this, loved ones, is life on the freeway. Jesus said, whoever wants to find his life must lose it. But see, you're not giving it up for nothing. You're giving it up to live in grace and forgiveness and love and freedom. You're giving it up because your story and my story has an expiration date and his doesn't. You're giving it up because even though it's not easy, he promises it will be worth it. And this is how... Life is supposed to be living every day with Jesus. And it happens when we surrender our own freedom to the one who is incomparably good. My life in your hands and I am yours. And so we got to understand our freedom in Christ, surrender my own freedom, and finally, help others find freedom. On April 14, 1912, of course, the Titanic struck an iceberg and was swallowed up in the icy waters of the North Atlantic. Over 1,500 people perished as the ship that not even God could sink, which, side note, don't ever say that about a boat, right? Not, not very smart, but it sank. And only about a third of the passengers lived to tell of the nightmare. Although the death toll was staggering, the greater tragedy was how many more people could have been rescued. The Titanic was certified to offer lifeboat space to 1,178 people. But of the 20 lifeboats lowered overboard, only a few were filled to capacity. Several were less than half full. For instance, the first lifeboat that was lowered, boat seven, had room for 65 people, but only 28 boarded. Boat five left with 24 spaces unfilled. Lifeboat nine left with 26 out of 65 spaces unfilled. Lifeboat one could accommodate 40 people, but only had 12. In all, 711 passengers and crew were rescued, while 40% of the total lifeboat spaces remained unfilled. Meanwhile, hundreds of people floated in the open water, wearing life jackets near the 20 unfilled lifeboats, and only one vessel went back in search of survivors. And the rest, who had room to spare, remained at a safe distance, observing the horrific scene, comforting one another, and praising God that they had been spared. And in the ensuing months, investigators sought to determine why so many lifeboat seats remained unfilled, and they uncovered two startling misconceptions. First, Some of the Titanic crewmen mistakenly assumed that if you filled the boats to capacity, it would cause the boats to break in two when they were being lowered. And so, as a result of their excessive caution, many passengers were forced to plummet to the icy waters. Second thing, some of the passengers, they didn't want to get on the lifeboats because they didn't really think it was needed. 
Despite the ship actually sinking, they kept saying, we're going to be fine. It's not really going to sink because this ship is unsinkable. If you have found freedom in Jesus Christ, you are on the lifeboat. And it is far too easy for you and I to sit back and come up with reasons not to go back for others. I mean, they don't really want it, right? I mean, if they wanted it, they would, they would say something to me. I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to be obnoxious. Good, then don't, okay? But you can still tell them about Jesus. We, 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 we use that phrase, excessive caution, without even realizing it. I'm just, I'm, just being, I'm just being careful. And there are probably some in here that fall under the category of saying, I don't really even need a lifeboat. Meanwhile, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. We need a lifeboat. People all around us are drowning, and those with lifeboats sometimes just rejoice that they have found their freedom. Loved ones, once you find this freedom, this life on the freeway, once you find the life that God has created you to live, once you start living everyday life with Jesus, it is time to help others do the same. See, if you were skiing with a group of people and there was an avalanche and you're trapped with several others and you just wanted to get out and all of a sudden somebody reached in and they grabbed you, you wouldn't be like, shh, don't tell everybody, let's go, right? You'd be like, everybody, hey, I found a way out. I found a way out, let's go, let's go. And you'd try to get everybody to go with you. See, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I'm gonna do whatever I can to help people find freedom in Jesus. If that means I, I have to be a Jew when I'm, when I'm really free from that, that's fine. If I have to be under the law, it doesn't matter whatever I have to do because that's what it means to live this life of freedom. We don't just go along on our own. We find others and we help them find the same way. And I'm willing to bet that there's probably some names that might go through your mind if you would just still your heart and say, God, who's somebody that needs a lifeboat that I need to go back for. Let's, uh, let's go back to where we started and let's say it in a sentence. Jesus Christ has died on a cross in our place so that we can find freedom in a captive world. And we need to understand my freedom in Christ, surrender our freedom, and help others find freedom. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray over us and we're going to sing of this freedom. And we're going to ask God to help us live it. And we're going to ask God to help us find others and help them do the same. And so, Father, thank you so much for the freedom that you've given us. For paying the price on the cross so that sin no longer controls us. So we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin, which we could never pay. We were in a hopeless condition. And I know some of this stuff, people might say, yeah, I kind of knew that. But, but it never gets old. Because we need to embrace it. We need to understand it. And then we need to live it. We need to live that life of freedom. And in our freedom, continue to surrender ourselves to something greater, willingly. And say, Lord, here I am. Take me. Use me. And I just think of people in this room who need a lifeboat right now. That you might be stirring in their heart. And they've never really grabbed a hold of Jesus in their place. They've never really grabbed a hold of the freedom from the penalty of sin. Pray that you would bring a, a yielding in their heart as they just acknowledge that to you. Pray for those right now that are just feeling beat down by sin, even though they've grabbed a hold of Jesus in their place. They've been living a life where sin has power over them. God, I pray that you would help them find freedom 
to recognize that if the Son has set them free, that we are free indeed, and that sin no longer has a mastery. Reveal the things in our lives that we have burdened ourselves to. You've set us free and we go back into slavery. God, show us those things and help us to embrace the freedom. And, and finally, God, help us as we consider those that we need to bring along and help us to be all things to all men that we might win some, to do whatever is possible so we can help other people find the freedom that Jesus Christ died for and to not just sit back with excessive caution and rejoice. We are dependent upon you. We are desperate for you. And now we celebrate in Jesus' name. Amen.